1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news, all right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com slash switch
1: Upfront payment of forty-five dollars equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active mint customers by 53124 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Hi, this is Zippy Owens, and you're listening
0: to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. I could not be more proud to announce today's sponsor and why they're sponsoring the podcast. Citizens of Humanity, which you may know is this amazing denim company, decided to do Stay Safe t-shirts. They're available on Monday, May 3rd, and you can shop them exclusively on the Citizens of Humanity website, citizensofhumanity.com. A hundred percent of the retail selling price of every t-shirt sold supports the Susan Felice Owens program for COVID-19 vaccine research at Mount Sinai Health System, which I founded. I am over the moon, grateful and excited that Citizens of Humanity is donating their proceeds of their Get Vaxed shirts, which are long-sleeved unisex t-shirts available in white or black, and the retail price is $34. Go to Citizens of Humanity. Please go get one of these T-shirts. And again, every T-shirt sold supports vaccine research at Mount Sinai and the program that I founded to honor my late mother-in-law. Thank you, Citizens of Humanity, for choosing my charity to donate the proceeds to. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I am just so excited. So go check out Citizens of Humanity, the shirt, buy some jeans, go crazy, and um, just thank you. Sibella Van Kampen is the author of the Loaves and Fishes Farm Series cookbooks, which are available at their website on loavesandfishes.com. Sibella is the owner of the Bridgehampton Inn and Restaurant, Loaves and Fishes Cookshop, and the revered Loaves and Fishes Food Store in Sagaponic, New York, which, by the way, my family has been going to since it opened. For over 40 years, Sabella has devoted her career to preparing delicious, seasonally-minded food and encouraging people and families to slow down and gather around the table for meals together. Sabella is the author of the Bridgehampton Inn and Cookbook, Look and Cookbook, released in 2019, and now the Lives and Fishes Farm Series Cookbooks, which she wrote with chef Licia Kasim Householder. Welcome to today's Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books episode where we're discussing these amazing loaves and fishes cookbooks. It's a farm series cookbook with 12 editions, three for each season. And I'm here today with Sibella Van Kempen talk about all this goodness. And I am so hungry just looking at these pictures. Talk about how you got involved in this project, how you started the project, your relationship to loaves and fishes, and and all of that. Okay.
2: Yeah, it all started, I would say, about two springs ago, exactly at this time of year. And we're always planning at Loaves and Fishes, which I own. I own Loaves and Fishes food store and the cookware shop and the Bridgehampton Inn and the restaurant. So I'm a busy girl and I'm involved in food from morning till night. The farmers made such an impression on me. Every spring it happens, but it was just that first time I had a chance to really talk to them and zero in on what they specialize in growing and just stopped for more than a moment to actually celebrate them. And I thought, wow, how about we do a book for one farm for every month? And then we just started. And I thought, you know, started with June, July and August, our summer. And we're busy and there's lots going on. And we went right ahead with photo shoots. Did it on a very concise, timely basis so as not to interfere with any of their work or our work. And I have a team of three others that are just amazing. The photographer, Connor Harrigan, and Maria Lebezo is our graphic designer. And my partner in this book series is Leisha Kasim Householder. She's been my pastry chef for, I can't count, more than a handful of years. And I really couldn't do without her. She is an inspiration um, ever since my mother passed five years ago. I've always been looking for someone to, to bounce off of. Someone that is ex- excited about food, has a passion for it, definitely has an affinity for it. And can I can, we can bounce off each other, which she's that girl, which has really been amazing. So that's how it started. All the contributions from the farmers, it just pushed us further. We went from one farm to another farm. And then in the winter months, I'm thinking, well, there's not a lot of farming. There is winter farming, but not so much, which I think, by the way, I'd like to see more of. But we focused on the animals. And so the goat, goats from Goodell Farm. And then we went into, well, what else do you do? You They're making beer all year long. They're making wine from the October harvest but we're drinking it in January and February and March. And I thought, well, let's bring that correlation back together. So I also had Lee Foster grows these amazing tomatoes, heirloom tomatoes. So I had the East End Kitchen preserve hundreds, like a thousand pounds of them from the summer. So it's another thing that you really want those ingredients from the summer in the winter. So now if you open one of my jars of those tomatoes, it literally smells like summer in January or what are we now in April? Not a tomato in sight. Yeah. (laughs) So that's a little bit of the backstory.
0: So I loved how, unlike any other cookbooks I've seen, just the design of how every cover is a different color. And of course, this is a podcast so people can't see, but it's like a pink and a pretty green and a pale blue and then like a teal and an orange. They're beautiful, absolutely. Being
2: very informal about this, but it's there they are. Yes. You know? No, I love. Starts them. with loaves and fishes in January and goes all the way to December, where we have the Goodale Farm and their goats and their goat cheese and all the other stuff the farmers do. Lisa and I quickly realized that we had to wear our boots, our gardening boots, every time to a photo shoot because, yeah, that's what you need. <laughs> major equipment, number one, to walk on the farm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know that you mentioned the photographer, but honestly, the photography in this book is insane. Right? I mean, it's gorgeous. Like I'm holding this double page spread of, of a whole bunch of, of yes. bulls and cows, and you know, the, even the bread, the worker, I mean, the pigs and the stuffing. Anyway, gorgeous. Plus, of course, the shout outs to all the different right. local venues. Right.
2: We just had a ball. We just had a ball. And going straight through the pandemic, you know, everything shut down, but we were photographing outside on the picnic table. What we did was we took six ingredients from every farm, brought them in our kitchen and photographed those dishes. That's what's in the book. Yeah. Super, super fun. Yeah. And Loaves and Fishes has been open throughout the pandemic. Our customers are extremely loyal. Of course, we had an influx of new customers last spring, which was so welcome. Everyone's and out here in the Hamptons in the winter. You're usually kind of sleepy. You know, we always say, oh, summer's coming. Get ready for it. Well, here it was March 16th. And I felt like I had a store in Manhattan. You know? I saw all our customers back in and I thought, wow, this is, this is interesting. <laughs> yeah. And with everybody cooking at home, it just the timing was so perfect for the books to come out. And because there are just 20 recipes in each book, they're not overwhelming. You can start in the season that you're in with one little book. And then as the month progresses, get the, you know, look in the next one. And it just fills your your year. And I think seasonally, a lot of the United States can use this as a guide for what is available when, yeah, to go to.
0: And that's it's so important too to eat the things that are in season at the time. I mean, when my my husband is an amazing cook. Lucky you, huh? Before we even really <laughs> started. I know I'm so lucky. <laughs> but before we even got together, we were like chatting one day and about what would our perfect meal be because he had oh, been to culinary yeah. school and this and that. And so he was talking about his favorite meal and then he asked me my favorite meal and I said, "Well, I think it really depends on the season." And he thought that was like the greatest thing. I think that's why he started dating. <laughs> Because I'm like, you have to see what's available, you know, because if it's summer, I might want blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so it just speaks to the importance of seasonal ingredients.
2: Did you grow up with a with a mother who cooked as well or a father who cooked? Was there a lot of cooking going
0: on? He did. He grew up, his family, his family cooked nonstop. I did not. I mean, my mother my mother shops at your store. There you go.
2: Uh, yeah. Well, we like to help when we can. Yeah.
0: Yes. There is cooking from cookbooks, but no, Kyle's family was much more, you know, they come from a family of of restaurant owners and and chefs. And that's like, you know, they're Italian and anyway. Oh,
2: and they're Italian. Wow. And they're Italian. That's what yes, passion is, you
0: know. Oh my gosh, all this pasta, this pandemic, <laughs> I don't even know. I can barely stand up. <laughs> So I'm really interested, when did Loaves and Fishes start and how have you managed to keep it current, although still in its, you know, physically very reminiscent of of its origins, but how do you keep a business in business for so long throughout all the things, just like this past year? How did you, how are you able to do that?
2: Well, Loaves and Fishes is in its 42nd year. We started in 1980. My mother bought it from two gals who had it for five years. And then they were done. Lovely gals. And so two years after that, I joined my mother and I, we were partners for 38 years, something like that. So, yeah. And, you know, the way to stay current is to always have conversations, keep the conversations going with your staff, with your customers, you know, I think they are the ones that motivate me the most. They literally come in and say, you know, that coconut crusted fluke, you haven't had it on the menu for a while. And I'm really craving it. And, and I have some people coming for the weekend in two weeks. Can you put it on the menu? So, you know, that's where a lot of the inspiration comes from. And, of course, we are totally driven menu-wise by what's available. And what's available locally it makes so much sense. You don't have to pay for it. The truck the, the transportation, the truck pulls up at the back door, and there are the apples from the milk farm. There's Jen Halsey, and there she is. I'm like, okay, great. So it makes so much sense. You know, I know we love fresh raspberries in February, but sometimes there's something better that tastes more authentic. Yeah, I do think.
0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So true. And what about at the Bridgehampton Inn about that restaurant and keeping, you know, being a restaurant owner in today's world with all these restrictions and and even, you know, how has that been going? Yeah,
2: really great. I helped the staff through the first two months when we were closed with a pandemic loan from the bank, which was brilliant. And it did exactly what it needed to do, support everyone so that when we reopened in June, my staff was there, everybody was ready to go, ready to dig in for the summer. So yeah, the restaurant is really pretty fabulous. It's the same kind of conversation we have with our customers. They're so important, you know? And what I also find is that we love to change things. I change the menu every week at the food store. And I would say about 70% of that menu is new. At the restaurant, we have sort of a foundation of favorites. And then we pepper that up constantly. Every other day, whatever chef feels motivated. So, yeah, that's, that's really how it works. It works the same way, same you know, motivational from the inside. And I can tell you one thing, if your staff isn't tasting it and saying yummy, if they're bored with it, you need to move on. And so my staff in all locations, they drive us forward. Even the girls in the cookware shop, you know, yeah, we've been selling this whiteware forever, but you know, Rosenthal has a new collection. Why don't we go look at it? And customers will ask for a certain wine glass. We all get together and say, hey, you know what? We like this too. Let's bring it in. And and they'll bring customers with them. So yeah, that's how to be retain your your brand, retain your message, but always edit it forward a little bit. You have to be a little bit ahead of the pack so that when everybody wants what they're looking for, you already have it.
0: So what are, what are some of, and by the way, I know when I first started chatting with you that my mother has been coming to your store forever. We started going to the Hamptons in 1979 and oh. I was three years old and you opened the next year. And I think she must've started going like right then. I think that must've, anyway, it's been, like so that's why that when I got this, like the cookbooks, I was, I'm like, this is part of my family. I don't know. It was just so exciting Wonderful. to have it anyway. So what are some of your favorite, you know, go-to Things from the, the, you know, in the food containers in those glass cases. What are some of your, oh, I guess, favorite recipes, but also prepared foods?
2: Yeah. The January book, which starts out in Loaves and Fishes, and we celebrate all the farmers that have a book of the month. And we're sort of in a collage format. And yeah. You know, I love them all, even the ziti salad, which has been there for 42 years. And a chicken curry salad is also. We have customers like your mother who started, and they started with the chicken curry and the ziti salad. And they still come, and their kids come, and their kids' kids come. And they still, when the family gets together, come for the chicken curry and the ziti salad. I try to motivate them to try something a little different. We've now started sesame noodles, which are exciting. But we've had those for years already. So I had a recipe for scallion and capellini, literally making a puree of raw scallions and a little salt and pepper on the very thin spaghettini. Well, that just flew. It was just one of those things. And those recipes of my favorites are all in the Loaves of Fishes book. And they are all in the menu at some point during the season. Yeah. So that's how it works. Pretty straightforward, really.
0: So what did you learn from producing this series? What did you, I mean, at this point in your career, like what what did you not expect when you produced all these cookbooks? Like what are you most excited to have gotten out of this project?
2: Well, I can compare in hindsight. The first book uh, about the inn and the restaurant took me three years to write and produce. These books take about Less than a year, I would say we're, we were about six to eight months from an original photographs on the farm to a book on the shelf. That taught me something, you know, I think, and I think it's happening throughout the world. There are a lot of steps that have been put in between. In other words, a publisher. So I'm self published. And I looked at that when I decided how to produce these books. I thought, wait. There is a publisher out there that knows nothing about me, or my ambition, or my mission, or my message. And I have a very dear friend who shared his production team and said, "Well, Sibylla, why don't you do it yourself?" So yeah, that's what I did. And so after producing the first book, as it took so long, I thought, "How can we get the message out in smaller sound bites that are not so intimidating?" Like. A recipe book with 150 recipes. That's the traditional method. But a lot of people were walking into the kitchen for the very first time. And that's kind of daunting. You know, gosh, where do I start? So I thought it was a great introductory method to say, okay, it's June. This is where you start. Go to a farm like this, purchase these kinds of ingredients because they're fresh and local. And then let's move forward from there. So, yeah, that's sort of what I learned. I learned how to tone it down, how to bring it all back. You know, we have a lot of distributors that could bring lamb from Australia and New Zealand. And But what are our local ingredients? They are less expensive, not always, but in general, by the time you pay for the transportation and the wear and tear on the food coming from wherever, it's all, it all degrades the, the the actual quality of the ingredient. So yeah, this is all, the project was ingredient driven. And I think I am ingredient driven and changing the menu every week at the food store gives me that, allows me that outlet. Yeah. So that's the fun part for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, that's such a, it just gives me so many ideas because part of publishing this part of the issue is people's attention spans too yeah. right do they have time to like get involved and invest it in a big heavy book and right. you know the way you've done this is almost you've taken one cookbook and sliced it you know almost like a round of cheese into these like little segments That's and like put analogy. it on a beautiful package, right 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 exactly. so, and it's much more consumable that way yeah. and I wonder how other content could be packaged in the same way not just for cookbooks but you know Topics and essays. Anyway, it's a it's a very clever way of doing it. I just, I, it's very neat, very cool. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, cooking is is tangible. You know, you can't cook on the video. You can't social media cook. It's cooking is a physical activity, and I think people were looking for guidance and help in that area. And social media—that's another reason why I self-published. Social media was so swamped already. And then we went into the pandemic and that was the only medium left. There was nothing happening in person anymore. Everything was viewed on a screen. And our, I I think our attention span is probably reduced to a nanosecond at this point. And so that definitely drove the size of the book and the content of all the visual activity. All of the beautiful photographs are it's you open the book and you say oh look at this you want to share it oh let me show you look at the cows wow you know they really were there on the farm so that is a product of our time now social media is now going to have to recompete with in person and in person is a cookbook in your hand to give us a beautiful gift yes I think I got that right yeah, yeah
0: I think you got that right <laughs> yeah. as well.
2: Oh my God. Yeah, and yeah it was a matter of timing you know the timing was so perfect
0: Yeah. And what parting advice would you give to aspiring authors, particularly those who are interested in writing about food or cooking or restaurants or.
2: Well, yeah, well, I would say if you're cooking at home and, or even in a restaurant and you really love your food, I mean, really love your food, then start taking photographs of it and see how it looks from that perspective. And then if you really love it enough, you will share like all the grandmothers in the kitchen used to do. You will want to share. And I guess they say too, everybody has at least one book in them. So I would encourage it, even if it's a documentation of family recipes, those can all be made now, even just one book. And I would say embrace that technology. The memories are in the tangible. They're they're in the solid book. That's the thing that you can give and share and grow. Yeah, grow your own skills. Yeah, and it should be fun. So for us, producing these, it was really fun. Fun to meet the farmers, fun to do the dishes, fun to present them. A lot of times we'd have the photo shoot right at Loaves and Fishes, and we would take the new dish, put it in the case. We'd take pictures of it, and in the case it went. So even during that process, food was evolving, you know, listening to our customers, and, yeah, so much fun. Welcome to
0: my playground. Amazing. I'm, I'm coming in. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. This has been so enjoyable. Thank you for these amazing cookbooks. I will be giving them as gifts all summer and beyond. And Yeah.
2: You can order them at loavesandfishes.us. So loavesandfishes.us, us, us as in the family. My kids are all working in the business. I have three children. And my husband as well. So we're surrounded. We're knee deep in it.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Loavesandfishes.us. Perfect. Amazing. All right. Yeah. Okay. See you. Wonderful. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you again to Citizens of Humanity for sponsoring this episode and for donating all the proceeds of your long-sleeve unisex t-shirts that are available for getting vaxxed. The retail price is $34 to the Susan Felice Owens Program for COVID-19 Vaccine Research at Mount Sinai Health System. Go to citizensofhumanity.com, Chad, and check them out. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.